Hi, everyone. In this episode of Insights Unlocked, Liz Miller from Constellation Research talks with Dr. David Evans, a senior research manager at Microsoft and author of Bottlenecks, aligning UX design with user psychology. Listen to their conversation to get a better understanding on why certain designs work and others fail, and what that may mean for your organization. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Insights Unlocked, an original podcast from User Testing, where we bring you candid conversations and stories with the thinkers, doers, and builders behind some of the most successful digital products and experiences in the world, from concept to execution. I'm going to ask you if you had a book, though. I like props. I like the questions you sent, actually. Yeah, we're going to have fun with these. We're going to have a good time. Okay. Mm. When they're ready, oh, we got thumbs up all around. We got people in the living room waiting to get a sticker. Did you know that everyone gets a sticker for being here? Do I get a sticker? You can have a sticker, like you can turn it in and it's fine. Yeah, but yeah, we can totally give you a sticker, but there's a sticker. I'll change my behavior for a sticker. Oh, I would totally. <laughs> Wait, but are we of the same age group that that sticker would need to smell like bad manufactured grape? Remember those old Doesn't stickers? Hurt. Yeah, like Doesn't remember hurt. like the old scratch and sniff sticker where it's like the it was like grape with like loose quotations around the word. It's apple adjacent, you know, it'd be great. Uh, right, yeah. like if this smells like purple, I like purple. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna lie, it was great. Okay, my favorite. David, Dr. David, Dr. Evans, I'm gonna go through all the different possible incarnations of what we can call you here. Thanks for coming in the living room. Nice to be here with you. I love it. I love it. So let's, I'm going to have you do the hard part as opposed to reading your your lengthy bio. I don't want to, because I will slaughter it. I like leave out things. I apparently misread someone's skills list on LinkedIn as like what they worked on. That was embarrassing. So why don't you let me, let the let the audience know the who you are, what you do, and who you do it for and what you wrote. I'm going to add a different one onto yours. Great, great. Yeah, hi everybody. It's nice to be here in the living room with you guys, um, and and everybody uh, also online, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I of course um, just had so much passion in my academic training in psychology, and I was a professor for a few years, and then Microsoft got me, and I've they've been my client, bum, or bum, I've been bum, there, yeah, right. for for twenty years. <laughs> Um, but I was also really fortunate to start teaching at the University of Washington on a UX and psychology of UX track. And that let me kind of be who I am, which is I really believe that all of these processes matter for how users experience our designs. Aren't, when you say University of Washington, isn't there some kind of like moral imperative for someone to shout, you dub, like really <laughs> loud. But yeah, like something really loud like that. I will say, fun fact, my dad was on the crew team. Great. At UW, like back in like back in the way day of like you know like that the the book Boys in the Boat he was like the year after that so it's kind of like that whole time period but yeah I've got all the W's I got the whole nine yards at home it's a it's a whole husky house that then met a Trojan house and then fell apart I went to an all women's college so it was a wonderful like, mm. book yeah like Boys all all boat. that stuff let's dig into this you have a book. Um, and really, in this book, you talk about some critical aspects, I believe, uh, that we should really all be thinking about and be very mindful of when we are trying to intentionally design these experiences, right? Because it's really about how people are able to consume. Are they ready to consume? Is there kind of the stickiness, the power to consume? So I want to start with this. Um, in your book, Right here, bottlenecks, aligning UX design with user psychology. God, I love that. Um, you delve into the concept of UX bottlenecks. 
right? Um, could you elaborate on this and, and also talk about what this bottleneck or what the impact of these UX bottlenecks are really having on digital innovation? I mean, digital, we, we talk about it like it's this big, like destination, like we're, we're all trying to get there. How do these bottlenecks actually stop that forward momentum? Yeah. Or do they, do they help them? Yeah. Well, when I started doing UX research and I was seeing all of these psychological processes at play, um, it just really struck me that people are really built to filter. So this idea you yeah. know, of UX bottlenecks is that people are equipped with really powerful constrictions where they block out noise and they focus on what's meaningful to them. Yeah. And I started to hear it over and over, and then when I wanted to talk about all the psychology at play, it was, it was a great framework. And I mean, if I can continue, as UX yeah. researchers, this is what you hear a lot. I didn't see it, we know that one. Yep. I didn't get it. And that's the yep. cognitive perception yep. one, right? Um, it didn't hook me, right? That's mm -hmm. another big, big bottleneck. But then it goes on to some more interesting ones. I, 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 I forget what it was called. Yeah. I don't like remember it. Wasn't it. Yeah. it wasn't sticky, yeah. It wasn't sticky, right? Or getting more profound, I think, it wasn't for people like me. It wasn't with oh. me on my journey. Oh, yeah. The self-image. Yeah. Know? And then lastly, I mean, we do measure and think quite a bit about, I can't recommend it. And those are the big ones. Those yeah. are the big bottlenecks that we need yeah. to be aware of. How, but how do these bottlenecks form? Like, and Because, I mean, they, they form because of humanity. I mean, clearly, it's, it's kind of how we're built to think and how we see ourselves in these, in these aspects. But when we talk about the idea of designing and developing these experiences, and we want, if we want to intentionally think about, okay, what are these bottlenecks? Where do they come from? Like, where, where, like how should we be thinking of these in design, in research, to say, those bottlenecks aren't bad? Right, it's That's not necessarily right. something that we need to destroy. Like, don't go out and seek out every bottleneck and try to crush it, right? But we should be aware of them. Like, where do they come from? No, I love it that you go there because anything that's evolved had absolutely something that was really adaptive to it. Right. And I really do believe they're, they're evolved. Um, I mean, I don't want to get too neurological, but I mean, the way the nervous system works is that neurons light up, but they also suppress. And that's how we focus. That's how we read. Right. That's how we think. So not only do you pay attention to one thing, but you suppress you yeah. know, your attention to other things. But I think that we, you know, and we talk a lot about, oh, people have the attention span of a goldfish. And we, <laughs> and we think actually You really kind of use goldfish. I usually use gnat. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Honestly, I know where that originated. It originated from the company I work for, oh. but it, it could not be more false, <laughs> right? And then we think that with digital designs, people's attention spans and other bottlenecks right. are shrinking all the time. But I think that's really wrong. I think what's happening is, is that we have just created such a glut of information yeah. when you deluge people that we're discovering how yeah. they're built yeah. in order to be able to concentrate and focus. So it's the aperture, is, the aperture is focusing rather than closing. I think so. And, yeah. and that's why I bottlenecks, right? Just like yeah. you know, on the freeway, yeah. some designs will get through to people. Right. Most won't. And I, I think that people, when they hear bottlenecks, though, and I'm curious if you've ever experienced this, when they, when you're confronted with something that's called a bottleneck, I think people always assume that bottlenecks are intrinsically bad, or in the same way that they think that friction is intrinsically bad. Because I think when people hear about friction, like I hear a lot of people like, oh, I want to create frictionless design. And I'm like, why? 
Yeah. Not all friction is bad. You know, like not all, not all, like some bottlenecks have purpose. Yeah. Um, and so are, are you really advocating kind of for understanding where and why that attention occurs and then really designing either for it or through it? Absolutely. Like stop looking at these as shortcomings of users, yeah. but they're how they're built. And that's why I like to think of the things that survive all six of those bottlenecks are really the stuff that's most meaningful mm. and valuable. Yeah. And they also like help with your long-term you know, life, your, yeah. you know, and your development as a person and who you want to be. I mean, the bottlenecks that I, I was trained in social psychology. So instead of focusing on attention and cognition, yeah. I'm focusing on, you know, growing up and becoming who you want to be. And I think those yeah. are, are also when you turn it and I love how you're flipping it. And, and when you look at people as I need to align with them on their journey to help them be what they want to be. Somebody at Microsoft, Panos Panay, says a wonderful line. People don't buy products, they buy a better version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And as you think about like yeah. aligning with that, yeah. then all the rest of it, you know, really falls, really into, falls place. into place. Yeah. yeah. I do have a word for the opposite of bottlenecks because this is okay. negative. I wanted, yeah. I wanted people to go, oh, that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing in business. Yeah. It's a bad thing in computer science. <laughs> you know, so it's yeah. a bad word. It's like bad supply chain, you know, like Bottle. some, there, there's like a supply chain like guru sitting someplace being like, right. go crush it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the flip side, probably maybe the name of my next book is receptivity, users' receptivity yeah. to our designs. And I think that that's where the design creativity and, and alignment really comes in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you also have a, a perspective on, you know, when we were talking about attention, right? I think that when we talk about, like people talk about, you know, an attention economy and, you know, we, we only have 10 seconds to grab someone's attention. And this is kind of created this weird world. So I'm a marketer by like nature and trade. And I think that what in marketing, what that creates, that fear of only having 10 seconds or that fear of only having eight seconds to grab your attention has to be above the fold. And we create these weird moments like full of flashing lights. And it's actually created more of this like fog of war than anything else, right? It's, it's created this big mass of blah. Um, so do you think that we really are in an attention economy or is it more about how do we stop thinking about that pressure and start thinking about something else. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely more pithy to say, oh, it's the attention economy than what I believe. We want to call everything the, there's yeah. every kind of economy, like everyone's like, it's the experience economy, it's the productivity economy, it's the, you know. So Liz, does that mean I get to say it's the attention, perception, motivation, memory, You can do it all, you can call it, oh gosh, what if we social just call it? Social economy. No, let's just call it the bottleneck economy and see if it sticks. Let's or, do or, it. you know, the receptivity, <laughs> I don't know. Receptivity you know, that's economy. No, wouldn't that be more of like the plan? We have now completely lost everyone in this room and we're just writing your new book now. We're but just gonna turn to each other and we're gonna not pay attention to them. We're just gonna get out the phone. I like it, we're doing this. Well, but what, you know, when people think they're trying to create businesses that just need to survive attention, if you believe yeah. that you only live in an attention economy, you end up creating dark patterns. You end up creating oh. uh, abusive designs. If the only thing yeah. you think you need to do with your customers is get their attention. Yeah. <clears throat> and to your point, pop -ups. You, you, you get killed at pop-ups. <laughs> right, pop-ups, that's just the one thing. Animation, color, oh, and you know, right. new tabs that just start some some really? music. Right, the, the, you're the trying loud, to mute yeah, it. like turning the loud music on. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, and what, what happens is you might survive the attention bottleneck, yeah. 
but you get killed in the perception because everyone perceives one. you instantly as abusive, Predatory. predatorial oh, noise. Oh, that's so good. So the more aggressive you are on yeah. any given one, the more likely you're going to get killed in you the next one. You fall in the next one. Got to think of your customers over the long I term. I love that. So let's talk about what happens after you've grabbed their attention, right? Like after we have the attention, you got to keep it, right? Like someone turning and looking at you because, okay, Liz tripping because there's nothing on the floor might get attention, right? But it's not necessarily going to get the stickiness of everyone coming over and try to help pick me up, right? Like it's like they just there's just a certain thing in psychology, right? Like if it was my best friend there, she would start laughing. We can break down that psychological pattern later. But we kind of have to talk about like what happens after attention, right? That stickiness, that perception. There's this kind of a concept of like these moments of truth, right? But in a user experience and in that journey, what are those pivotal moments that if a designer's listening to this today, a UX pro is listening to this today, what's after that? Like what are those next moments that they need to be aware of so that they can plan ahead and beyond? Yeah, and the, the book is actually full of all of my designs that research changed. So there's so many just very concrete like before afters. And, and one of my favorite ones that's going around the web right now, it's a story from Amazon, and I don't know if it's true, but it's a great story, right? <laughs> and, and it was like, you're in a checkout flow, and you get to that button that says register, right? We've all hit that. Yeah. Immediately, you want to bottleneck that, right? Because, right. And they talk about the story of the research and the design that changed the label on that button to continue as a guest. And the psychology is flipped upside down. Oh. People are much more receptive to it. And then they calculated they were making $300 million extra a year on yeah. that particular flow. So this is a so wonderful example yeah. of just thinking about, are people open to this idea? And are we just hitting them with something that they want to block out and yeah. not continue it? And I think that if I were to put these in this different psychological traditions, it's much more in the motivation you know, in the motivation section. Yeah, the motivation section. section. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's like, you know, the, the example that I thought of when I was kind of reading through the questions and kind of looking at your background was Netflix, right? Um, Netflix years ago, and they've done the opposite, which is kind of funny, right? In early days of Netflix, they put that cancel button right at the very bottom. This is cancel. They made it super easy. To just say, I don't want to be in, I, do, I don't want my subscription anymore. I've, I've been here for a month. I'm going to cancel. They made it really easy to cancel. And what that set up was a mental model where it was easy to sign up and it was easy to cancel. So at my discretion, I could come on every other month and buy and not buy. And the lifetime value of the customers who are allowed to self-model yeah. when they were going to come on, when they were going to leave, how easy that process became. They made more money from those customers than what we intuitively do, which is hide that cancel button down at the very bottom of the page in like the tiniest language possible. You got to scroll. You got to go 19 steps to do it. So kind of interesting. So here's, here's where I want to close. When we talk about, we talked about receptivity and you mentioned receptivity. I think it's a really interesting area and I think this is a really good place to land in this conversation. When you are in UX, you know, we think about how do you get the uptake? How do we get people to do it? How do we get, but you're actually talking about the receptivity of people to want it, to want to engage with that. So how should people be gauging and looking for, or potentially even researching for receptivity in their customer base? Yeah, I mean, good metrics to look at this is certainly everything in your conversion flow. Do people drop out or do they continue? 
uh, is super important. I also, when you think about, did they recommend us? One of the things you know to think about there is, and did the people who receive it recommend it even further? Or do it. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or act yeah. on it. Oh, I love that. Um, a lot of these do translate into KPIs you know, that you can um, be looking at. I, I definitely, um, one of the things I'm also looking at, and we haven't talked about it, is the memory bottleneck. Oh. And certainly if you ask people, well, what's your most vivid memory of insert brand here? Microsoft, Amazon, yeah. Spotify, you know, I'm old. whatever they Walmart. answer, yeah. <laughs> you know, survive that. And it yeah. kind of matters. And that's what yeah. they actually will talk about. If they ever talk with somebody else, your last guest yeah. was a big advocate for what was it? Loom. Yeah. I, I got to go check it out. Now You're like, I got to go buy Loom. We're going to yeah. do Loom videos well, now. Yeah. I know everyone. Loom would be an example of one yeah. that survived all six bottlenecks with yeah. her. And yeah, has gotten absolutely. all to the point where she's like, it's for people like me and for my yeah. friends. And I think it's so interesting because, I mean, talk about a brand in Microsoft that has had to kind of break through some a lot of those receptivity. Because, you know, if, if you if you are someone of my age, you do remember those early years of it's all us or nothing. And we're only competitive within our own enterprise. And there's no one outside of Microsoft. And now you look at Microsoft and it's such a completely different dynamic. It's such a completely different uh, you know, universe really, where it's, you know, this ecosystem now. And if you aren't willing to be receptive to that change and you're still going to have the me muscle memory of that old brand, you're never going to want yeah. to engage. And you brought up lifetime value. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I feel very fortunate. Of course, all these opinions today are my own, not my employers. And, but I feel very fortunate that our customers have been our customers at Microsoft for, in the, in the productivity suites for 30 years. Yeah. And you, I, I, I challenge any .com or whatever or, or a smartphone app to, to ask themselves, are you really built to have customers for 30 years? Yeah. But I'm very, I'm very pleased with Teams. I think Teams is one of those that was with people on their pandemic journey, mm -hmm. and it was very meaningful to them. I'm very proud to have worked on that. That's awesome. Um, you can point at but, some good but here's, ones. But here's my question, and it's a very, very serious one, and I think a lot of people here will agree with me. Can you bring back Clippy? There were cheers. There were literal cheers when I asked, can we bring back Clippy? So I mean, it's much memory. Love. It's so much love. There's receptivity. There's stickiness to it. Bring back Clippy. Bring back Clippy. Everybody now. I'm just saying. I'll bring that back right now yes. and tell everyone. This living yes. room said bring back The living Clippy. room says Liz it's said, official. It You've got like free research Clippy. <laughs> Clippy. A lot to be said for it. Thank we'll you so be, much for being thank here. Thank you. Oh, Just my gosh. It's so great. It. And listen, for <clears throat> everyone listening, the book is called Bottlenecks, Aligning UX Design with User Psychology by David Evans. Check it out. There are a lot of, I mean, there are so many great examples in here where you have really broken this down and you're really letting people see kind of behind, behind the curtain into, you know, good and bad options. So check it out, everyone. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find the show notes at usertesting.com slash podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or Google Play so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it with a friend or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, this is Insights Unlocked, an original podcast from User Testing. <laughs>